0: From Variety celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Aaron Sorkin is the king of dialogue. Actors line up for a chance to make a feast of his words, and the opportunity to deliver a sorkin pen speech is every performer's dream. And yet his monologues never seem out of place. They always fit organically into his stories and his characters, and Sorkin explains there's a musicality to that.
1: It's almost like the way in a musical Uh, A musical number always works best when it's the result of words no longer being able to do the trick. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you just met a girl named Maria at the dance at the gym and you're gobsmacked in love. And it's not enough just to say, hey, I just met this great girl and her name is Maria. You got to run down the street, singing a song just about how beautiful her name is. Okay, we haven't even gotten to her yet. We're just singing about her name and words don't work anymore, we have to uh, sing a song. It's kind of the same uh, with a speech. You have to get there.
0: I'm Janelle Riley. On this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Aaron Sorkin about the Trial of the Chicago 7, which just received six Oscar nominations and his overall amazing career. Additionally, in this episode, we speak to Helena Zengel, who's Tom Hanks' young co-star in News of the World. But first, on the award Circuit Roundtable, we go through our reactions to this year's Oscar nominations. It's all on the latest edition of Variety's Award Circuit podcast, Stay Close.
2: Hello and welcome to Variety Award Circuit. I'm Clayton Davis, Film Awards Editor here at Variety. Joined today with Janelle Riley.
0: I retain the second spot. Hello, everyone.
2: <laughs> everyone knows this goes in order uh, of least to greatest. Oh, see,
0: that
2: was nice. Wow. wow. No, that was just really acknowledging <laughs> Mike Schneider his greatness. No, you're the best, you know. Jazz Sankey, hello, Jazz.
3: Hello, Clayton. Oh, my gosh, Janelle, you are so awake for this
0: day. I've had like eight cups of coffee since four in the morning. Thank you very much. And uh,
2: and with no cup of coffee in his hand, Mike Schneider.
4: Yes, I've got my sparkling water. Um, but uh, I was going to say, you all are still... Pretty, pretty perky for uh, having (laughs) been up super early. Uh, My favorite thing, I think, was I saw, Jazz, you posted your screen grab of your alarm this morning, uh, and you had, like, specific, like, you had an alarm at 4, and then 4.15, and then 4.17, and I think the last one was the, get the fuck up.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I I weirdly woke up. Yeah, I weirdly woke up naturally at, like, 5 a.m., which... It just shows what a crazy insomniac I am, but um, I probably could have fallen back to sleep, but I figured, yeah, I'll just stay up, you know, Oscar nominations, why not?
3: Yeah. Oh, my goodness.
0: Ah,
2: there were no surprises there anyway, so it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> well, let me tell you, when the Oscar nominations kicked off and the very first name they announced was Maria Bakalova, for Borat subsequent movie film. I had a pretty good feeling it was gonna be. Uh, a I'm day. sorry, they did
2: not say Borat subsequent <laughs> movie film.
0: They, No, they said they, the whole they, movie. They, I
2: felt so bad for Priyanka Chopra when she had announced. Said no
0: one screenplay. ever.
3: Yeah.
2: Adapted <laughs> screenplay. She was just going on and on and saying so many names.
3: But she did a great job with she that. She, she did did a great great job, the whole yeah. title and
0: she didn't like stumble. They probably took a look at that, and Nick said, I'll let you take this one. <laughs> <laughs> Good
2: husband. All right, so let's get right into it. I guess uh, Best Picture, we had eight. Last year, the sliding scale, let's say RIP, thank God, it's going to be gone.
0: Oh, see, I, I don't like switching to an automatic 10, but okay.
2: Why? I think we get, I think Borat Subsequent Movie Film's Best Picture nominee. Mm-hmm.
0: Possibly, right but there. there's, there's something, maybe I'm an elitist, but there's something I like about people saying these are the ones that made the cut.
2: It'll be the same thing, but just like they just keep going through the ballots until they get to ten. Sure. to uh, eight or nine.
0: I um, was a fan I, of five, to be honest.
2: I mean, I, I also like. If you're not gonna, if, I think if you don't do straight ten, go back to five. So I hate this middle ground.
3: I agree with you, Clayton. Though I do think Borat could have been like borderline. Had, Wait, had hold lost. on.
2: We, we started off at the wrong spot. Hold on, Mike Schneider. Share the news. He saw Minati. Let's go. <gasps> Uh, so
4: good. So good. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I joined Janelle's mom. Uh, I've already been a <laughs> Stephen Young fan for a while because I, I wrote a lot about Walt back in the day. I love Stephen Young. But now, like a new side of him, he was great. But of course, Alan Kim.
3: Oh, yeah. oh. Oh. Add, add me
4: to the list of people who are trying to adopt Alan Kim. I know mm-hmm. that list is long at this point, but eventually they'll get to my name and I will totally bring him into my household and joint custody. We need to take him one
3: day a week. <laughs> Look, why why don't I you just adopt him at Variety. And like... <laughs> right. Yes, right.
4: Sure. Can, can a magazine adopt a child? Because maybe we could. <laughs> I mean, Look. listen,
2: have Jay Penske as your dad. I mean, that's got a beads. So he'll do, uh, okay. I'll take that deal, too. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm so glad that Mike Schneider made it to the party on that. It's
0: such a wonderful movie. It's funny. I had quite a few people text me this morning and say, like, well, uh, you know, I'm going to see Minari now. And I was like, I've been telling you to watch it. You know, it's. I guess it does show, like, how much the influence Oscars have. Like, yep. it's, It's. Yep. you know, I, I thought everyone had seen it. So I'm happy well, to I hear about those
4: holdouts. What... <laughs> What's what's interesting, I think, about that is that because so many of these films are available on streaming, *Minari* is one that's not. I think it's weird that we we live in this strange barrier to entry now, where because so many films are available, it, it is hard to imagine plopping down twenty bucks for for mm. on demand when you know eventually it's going to make it to a streaming service or somewhere. So, so I wonder if that was sort of the barrier to to more people seeing it.
0: Michael, more important question: Have you seen the Snyder Cut, and is that going to be eligible for Oscars next year, <laughs> or is it an Emmy play?
4: <laughs> Definitely not an Emmy play because it's 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 a it's a new version of a film, so that, that there's no way it'll be eligible for for an Emmy. But uh, no, but the reviews. I mean, what do you make? Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, pretty positive. Excited.
4: Yeah, but you have not seen hours.
0: it.
2: No,
4: I've okay. not seen it yet.
2: I mean. Because, I mean, it's a limited series, right? Or something? Yeah. Much. I,
0: will it, It's So it's really not eligible I, I for no,
2: I actually have no idea. No. I, I yeah. don't. I, I think it's just a recut. It's like Blade Runner getting a recut 30 times.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah.
2: yeah
4: I, I don't think you can put that up for anything at this point because it is just no. someone re-editing a film. So People's choice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well,
3: choice
2: next year. Yeah. Uh, let's. All All right. So picture... We have Eight, The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promised Young Woman, Sound of Metal, Trial of Chicago 7. I want to point out something I don't know if anyone didn't notice. Margot Robbie is not an Oscar nominee for producing Promised Young Woman. Why is that? Because I think the most you can have is five or four. Mm. So I guess she didn't make that cut or whatever. So she is not so she did not join the Francis McDormand boat that I thought she was gonna join this year. And the and Didi Dee Dee Kleiner, I'm sorry, Didi Dee Dee Gardner and Jeremy Kleiner are not producers on Me not e.
3: They're not. Interesting. No. Wow.
2: Yeah, a lot of the crazy stuff there. Uh surprise there. What's your shock?
3: Ma Rainey's no. black bottom
0: missing. Oh, sorry, Jim. yeah. No, no, no. I was I was about to completely agree. Um, no, no shockers, I would say, but disappointed that Ma Rainey. One night in Miami, and Borat didn't make the cut. We knew, you know, it would be challenging, especially with Borat as a comedy. But um, it's a good lineup. You did know, someone, there's there's yeah. no.
2: Did anyone tell you guys that Ma Rainey was missing? I don't remember if someone mentioned that, and they got made fun of a lot by saying Ma Rainey would miss Best Picture. But I don't know. I'm just talking.
0: I think you're referencing yourself, but you're assuming that I pay a certain amount of attention. It wasn't you. I, I, was, I was referencing
2: <laughs> film Twitter, actually.
0: Well, I was the person who was saying all along and feeling like a jerk that I didn't think Delroy Lindo was going to get nominated. Yeah. And I didn't want it to be true, yeah. but yeah, I certainly, I. I, I I'm, surprised,
2: I'm surprised how many people took him in the end anyway. Yeah. Regardless. Thinking
0: he would get in.
2: Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, it's but it's a good sign because Paul Racy made it into supporting actor, yeah. and it was the same thing, you know. He so,
2: yeah, critic choice and Bath, at least, yeah, no, just critic choice. Um, director Thomas, Yay. Victor, Yay. Thomas, Thomas Victor Victor. David Fincher, Lee Isaac Chung, Chloe Zhao, Emerald Fennell. I knew there would be a European white guy, I just picked the yep. wrong one.
0: You went with Florian Zeller, right, for the moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, the person that I, I guess we would, would say was snubbed, um, considering the lineup of the DGA, is Aaron Sorkin, uh, who's actually this week's guest. Um, he's still nominated for screenplay, and his film is nominated for Best Picture, so not too shabby, but uh, I was a little bummed not to see him here in director. I, I think that people take his work for granted as a director, and because he is such a famous writer.
4: Right. They're right. Like, I was going to oh, say, yeah. there's... Yeah. yeah, so he he's he's one of the writers, he's not one of us. No. Yeah, yeah
2: I, I heard that from uh an academy member that said he's a writer, not a director, and some people they thought he was gonna have trouble, and I was like, Yeah, maybe, but yeah, you know, and it just happened, it made sense. Yeah, that director's
3: brunch is tough, right? Like, which is why yeah, I
2: people, yeah.
3: You know, then, with the women, it was like I felt two were gonna get in, like we knew Chloe was gonna get in. Who would they pick between Regina and Emerald and the sacrificial lamb was Regina King?
2: Listen, I I I would I would even say, and this may be controversial, I don't even know if like Chloe and Emerald were like necessarily top three, like in nomination tally, just because they're such a boys club sometimes. And I and I wonder if like they just skated through. Like I was I was very worried that we were just gonna get one.
0: I'm just so happy they're there.
2: Yeah, that's what
0: I'll yeah. say. Yes. Yeah, I watched Promising Young Woman last night for like the fourth time, and I pick up things every single time. And this time, I was just really, really in awe of Emerald Fennell as a director. I also realized she cameos as the woman who teaches, gives the makeup tips in the YouTube tutorial that uh, Carrie Mulligan's oh my character goodness. watches. No, yes. no way.
3: Yeah. And no to Supporting Actress well. nomination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's uh, going to go off and watch Promising Young Woman again Just to see all right. her in that.
2: <laughs> Easter eggs uh, It's like watching WandaVision right, Best actor, uh, Riz, Chadwick, Anthony Gary Oldman, Steven Yeun So I have to say this because the story Will be out by the time we're all listening to this
0: Ooh, exclusive
2: <laughs> Not really exclusive, but like I figured out So I have to talk about supporting actor To give the context of this all right, so Supporting go for actor, me. Sasha Baron Cohen Daniel Kaluuya, Leslie Odom Jr., Paul Racy and Shocker, Lakeith Stanfield. Now, everyone's big question is: how did Lakeith Stanfield get into supporting an actor because he was campaign lead? And we are assuming a fair assumption was, hey, they probably just thought it was an ensemble. I don't know how you watch that movie and think it's an ensemble, but whatever. So the way the Academy rules work, and if you kind of paid attention to my personal ballot, was that Kaluya was very heavily debated that he was lead, which I believe he is a lead. I think they're co-leads. And I don't think there was a single ballot on there. There may have been one or two, but I don't think there was a single ballot that had both of them in supporting. I think Kaluuya got votes in lead with Stanfield having ballots, uh, getting votes in supporting. And the way it works is if you make the top five in both, whatever has more votes becomes your nomination. So what happened probably was Gary Oldman or Steven Yeun is not really an Oscar nominee. They got, like, allowed to become one because Kaluuya had more supporting votes. So he goes into supporting, and Stanfield had enough to get him in supporting also. But I think Kaluuya had enough nominations in both categories.
4: That's interesting, because the thing is, I didn't realize, you know, unlike the Emmys where you decide what category you submitted and that's it, that that wasn't the case with the Oscars. That it, well, it, you,
0: it, it you no. do submit in a category, but the Academy can basically ignore that, yeah. correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: so history, Kate Winslet... With uh, one supporting all year for the reader, got kicked to lead, and the assumption was that she got in both for Revolutionary Road and the Reader, and they just allowed the Reader to represent. You can't be nominated, you can't be double nominated in the same category, even for two separate performances, which is really a dumb rule. Um, now they've always they've done a lot of kicks from like supporting to lead. So Kate Winslet, Keisha Castle Hughes did it um, for Whale Rider. Whale Rider. I don't remember. I don't know if you guys remember the Benicio del Toro traffic because he was supporting, but he got in lead and won lead at SAG. So I don't know. They if that
0: submitted was, him in supporting, I believe.
2: Well, was, no, because SAG honors the, the the submission, so I don't re, I don't know if it was a mistake or an error because Jennifer Connelly also got nominated in lead the next year for Beautiful Mind. So it, that's a really weird thing. I, I I need to figure that part out. But I think, oh, yeah, we've never had the reverse. You campaign and lead in like, oh, yeah, you're really supporting. The closest we got to that was Steve Carell, Foxcatcher, because he got nominated supporting at BAFTA. And everyone thought they were going to pull the switcheroo. And they did not.
0: Right. He ended up getting nominated in lead at the Oscars. Where he was all season. And by the way, the um, Best Actor category is the only one that aligns perfectly with SAG.
2: Yep. SAG went yeah. two for five in SAG Ensemble and Picture.
0: Wow. Wow, that's got to be... It's, it's the worst showing
2: since 2007. 2007 had one. It was No Country for Old Men.
0: Although I, I do want to specify that Best Ensemble does not necessarily equate to Best Picture. Yeah. We just sort of relate them in our heads.
2: Yeah. Uh, but since we're on supporting, Lakeith was the biggest surprise of the day and sure. super deserved.
0: Yep. Yeah. So happy, such a fantastic actor.
2: So great.
4: Um, great. Yeah.
0: And I mean, two huge surprises in that category because Paul Racy, you know, we all been hoping, but he hadn't appeared in any of the major nominations yet. So that was such a thrill.
2: Uh controversial. I think he's the upset.
0: Oh, I absolutely think he could win. Yeah. Actually, I think this category is I, I think Daniel Kaluuya is definitely the front runner. Um, but I honestly there's a lot of people I like could see winning. Like votes from him, and then I, I don't.
3: You don't. Know? I don't. Well, maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe. So here's a question: Do you see a world where Daniel wins, supporting maybe, and Judas and the Black Messiah could win Best Picture? I feel like a lot of people that I've spoken to have it in their number one. Not enough to yeah. be like. Oh. Uh,
2: I think it's number five. Like I think there's a road for it, sort of, but. You have, you have to give me other wins. And well, we've
0: got six weeks yeah, of what we can happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> a lot that
2: can happen. But it had a really good showing. It but did. I was so thrilled. I, I think it's supporting actor or, or bus by being smart. Uh, actress, Viola Davis, Andrew Day, Vanessa Kirby, Frances McDormand, Carrie Mulligan, The Standard Five. Second time two Black women have made that category since 1972, Cicely Tyson and Diana Ross, who also played... Billy Holiday. Crazy. Wow. So yeah. play Billy Holiday, Mike Schneider, you'll get an Oscar nomination. I'll so in 48
0: years, someone will have to play Billy Holiday and get an Oscar <laughs> nomination for yeah. it.
2: Yeah. It's
0: Viola, like it. it comes about every, you know, 47 yeah. years. Viola's <laughs> also
2: like the first woman to return for another nomination in Best Actress and also the most nominated Black woman in the uh, category with four. Of, like of all act of all black people. Period, she has the most. Uh, of all so, black women, you mean? Black women, yes. I, did I say that? I meant that. If, I like, don't know.
0: It's we're so tired that whatever yeah. you said, uh, you yeah, whatever say. Please
2: black don't people.
3: judge us and tweet yeah, yeah.
2: us. <laughs> Supporting actress Maria Bakalova, Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, Amanda Seyfried. Yeah, you got it. And Yu Jeong Yoon. Um, I don't know who wins. I don't know.
0: I think it's Maria Bacalovo with a possible upset by Ye Jong Yoon. Um, yep. But then it wouldn't surprise me to see Glenn Close take it as well. Yep. Yeah.
2: I know we yeah. say this once in a while. I think any five, any of the five.
0: Any. It's a really good lineup, honestly. I mean, uh, once again, there's 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 nobody that makes me, like, groan or wince or shake my fist.
2: Yeah. They, how... They, how
4: how about the fact that Glenn Close is nominated for both a Razzie and an Oscar for the same role?
0: I uh,
2: historic. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the second time I think it's happened. It happens.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the yeah. Razzies. Like that, it's just ridiculous. That is not a bad performance <laughs> in any sense of the word.
2: Yeah. Uh Ma- Maria, I can definitely buy Maria winning now. let I always thought she there was a road for her. I always needed a second nomination for Borat, which we have now. Yep. So screenplay. Yeah, because, listen, SAG is going to be very telling, and only Maria and YJ are at BAFTA.
0: So. I will go with whoever SAG goes with, um, and I'm very curious to see how that pans out. I've been calling Maria since, literally calling her on the phone, um, since uh, October. Honestly, I, I, I think she's going to win. But were the Ye first. Jung Yoon really, really could pose a serious threat. And people love her, love Minari. I don't think it, who wins at
2: SAG wins Oscar. Because, only because they get into a habit of rewarding things that they didn't the year that someone won an Oscar. Olivia Coleman's only thing that she lost the year of the favorite was SAG. I feel like they're going to give it to Olivia Coleman, and I still won't know who's going to win.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Messing everything up.
3: Janelle's uh, been on the
0: Maria train since, from the Oh, beginning. she's so sweet. You know, in, in her reactions interview today, um, one of our reporters spoke to her, and she was like, Variety was the first podcast I ever did. This very podcast we're on now. You know, she yeah. said Janelle was like the second pers- second journalist ever I spoke to. And, yeah, I'm just, she got the news on the set of the new Judd Apatow movie, which is pretty cool. <laughs> this is
2: awesome.
4: I do, it does feel like, uh, you know, the, the, the classic quote-unquote Cinderella story. Yeah, it, it like she's riding that wave right now. It's perfect timing.
0: So uh, wonderful. What?
2: Someone remind me, maybe I'm not thinking fast enough. Who's the last comedy winner-ish?
0: The old, uh, I mean, the two that spring to mind are Marissa Tomei for My Cousin Vinny and Kevin uh-huh. Kline for Fish Called Wanda. I mean, has there been one since then? straight-up comedy?
2: A, yeah, straight, yeah, like a straight comedy, yeah. no. Because I don't think we've ever really... I think Marissa Tomei is our only straight comedy... And of women yeah. that we've ever had. Like I always I always go back and forth on Diane Keaton if I really consider her like straight comedy.
0: Brand. For Annie Hall? Yeah. Yeah, I consider that a pretty big comedy.
2: Yeah. Um original screenplay, Judas Minani, Promise Young Woman, Sound of Metal Trial. Uh pick any. I think there's a strong four there. I don't I don't like
0: Oh, don't who are you shading? Right. <laughs> I think
2: I think Judas will have the hardest time in original screenplay.
0: Sure. I mean, right. I think that Emerald Fennell and uh, Aaron Sorkin probably have all the buzz about them right now. I think um,
2: if Minari wins SAG Ensemble, then... Well,
0: that's the other... That's B90 B90 we, you know, we really haven't seen how it plays into things yet, and it just gains more and more love by the day. I would not be surprised to see it win here either.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, adapted, Borat, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, The White Tiger... Feels ordained for Nomad Land, but I'd say watch out for One Night in Miami or The Father. I think they could do it too. The Father feels like um, Sling Blade. Ooh. That wow. beat the they English patient back. when it swept.
0: It's such a good movie.
2: Oh yeah, Sling Blade's great. Yeah.
0: No, not slinky. Sling. Sling is great too, but the father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: We talk about this would be a sling Blade podcast such a good one.
3: I wonder if more people will watch The Father now after today's showing, like you were talking, Janelle, like you were saying, Janelle, about how how the Oscars are influential. People who are reluctant to watch the story will now go and watch it because of today's yeah. showing. I
2: feel well, like I, can I we address that by the way about like people saying that people didn't see The Father, but yet Anthony Hopkins was a lock. Like, how do you feel? Like, no one saw the movie. Not you, jazz. but so talking about people. Like, they were like, nobody's seen The Father. Be like, if you think Anthony Hopkins is a lock, that means someone's seen it. And the acting branch is the largest branch. And I, like, they sent out screeners. They had the Academy uh, streaming room. Like, there was no reason. They, I mean, regular people haven't seen it, but that happens every year.
0: I feel like there's a lot of people in SAG I've spoken to. It was one of the first screeners they put in. And I was concerned because, you know, you think it's going to be depressing. And it's definitely difficult subject matter. But, like, I want to make clear that that the movie is not maudlin or, you know, it doesn't set out to depress you. It's actually just such a beautifully constructed story. Yeah. And the performances are so stunning.
2: That's told by a production yeah. design nomination.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: Um, news of the world. Can we just discuss it?
0: Oof. That was a bummer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Helena but, Zengel being. But, but Daddy Oswalski is a Oscar nominee now. That's pretty
3: great. Amazing. First time.
2: Yep. So is Sean Bobbitt, which is yeah. bananas that that's his first nomination. He shot 12 years a slave.
3: It's crazy. But sadly, they missed all the women. I mean, not that the women were, you know, front runners or. You know, they were on the outside, but yeah. no woman made it, and Sean got in, which is great, and so did Darius.
2: Yeah. Uh, Pinocchio in costumes was... Uh,
3: I'm still wrapping my head around the fact
0: that there's another Roberto Benigni Pinocchio.
2: Because <laughs> we had, like, three or
0: four. <laughs> yeah. Will he do another one and this time play Jiminy Cricket? Like, Let's yeah. do it. He's just hitting on the They're making
3: another Pinocchio, by the way. Like, the new... the. <sighs> the one with Cynthia oh, like, right? Sorry? Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks is? Yeah, I, is is Tom in
2: Hanks? Hanks in the Pinocchio? Is he playing? Um, Geppetto? Geppetto? I don't know. Making this up?
0: If, if you did just make it up, you should, like, get on that. And take that would be ready. amazing.
4: If that, that was just a dream Clayton had the other day. <laughs> I swear to God,
3: I, I, I really hope
0: it's...
2: I think I, think I heard that he's playing
3: japan You're right. He is. He okay. is. I looked well, it there up. There you go. Okay. You're not
0: going to... I print. made that up. Robert Zemeckis production, so I don't know if it'll be... If he'll be on Why? camera, it'll be
4: motion Why? capture. Why so I'm... much Pinocchio? Why so much Pinocchio? <laughs> oh,
3: I don't know. But whilst we're on question, can we give a shout-out to Anne Roth, who joins... Uh, James Ivory and Agnes
5: Vada as one of the oldest
0: Oscar nominees. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm really into this Pinocchio thing that uh, Robert Jemeckis <laughs> is doing. I just saw Keegan-Michael <laughs> Key as Honest John and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is going to be Jiminy Crickets.
2: Yep. What's about two more categories? Original Song. One ah! day... Not, well, let's, the, one day... Time of recording. We're recording on Monday. But the day after her won a Grammy... She got an Oscar nomination. That, uh,
3: yes. That's All awesome. that's great, but let's yeah. talk about Husevik. <laughs> wait, wait, like, wait, one second. I just want to say about her like, yes, she won the Grammy last night. She's an Oscar nominee today. She was also one of the first female uh, Filipinos be, yeah, to be nominated in an original song. So fantastic.
4: Yeah. Very cool. Let's go Very for her. Cool. And
3: Diane Warren yeah. landed her 12th nomination.
2: Wow. Yeah. You know what they said? Third time's a charm. <laughs> that's an Ellen Jones hey, 2007 ceremony. I remember that. She said that's um, Peter O'Toole. <laughs> that. Okay, go ahead, Janelle. Talk about it. Go ahead.
0: Lusovic yes. from Eurovision. Yes. Um, so thrilled to see it in here, the town of Lusovic themselves. I'm sure are very thrilled. You should visit oscarforhusovic.com. Um, I believe it's spelled O-S-K-A-R, though. Little little play on words, because there's, there's a gentleman named Oscar in the town. Uh, does this make Will Ferrell an Academy Award nominee?
2: No, he's not a
0: ah. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm, I'm still hoping that they will perform at the ceremony.
2: Listen, the Grammy showed us that you can have performances on a yeah. show and it still look mm-hmm. super dope agreed yeah it was, can we, wait can we take a second grammys were great uh, right? oh, yes. That's
3: no, a quick I, production
2: i thought
4: they did a fantastic job and i, I tweeted as much yesterday I, I thought you know for for what they did it was unique I, I loved the opening moment the sort of theater in the round where one by one they're performing and then watching each other perform you know harry styles like mouthing the words of Billie eilish song uh i thought i thought that was pretty cool um it's but the ratings did not bear out. I, I think this is this is a huge problem for all of television, but especially with award shows this year. Um, not a good uh, uh, sign for the Oscars, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, and I think everyone just needs to like accept that ratings will be low everywhere. Like everyone's mm-hmm. going to have a ratings dip. Yeah, but it's
4: but but, but Grammy but, huge asterisk of year.
2: Your- yeah, because I don't think we had. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. We didn't have one Zoom winner, right? Everyone that won was there.
4: Yeah, which actually, well, yeah. I mean, they only gave out, what, 11
2: awards, so... Um, was that all they gave out? Because I felt like I felt they gave out no awards. And I was saying to myself, like, I feel like there's nothing that's been handed out in a long time.
4: Yeah, yeah, they rarely do because they don't have to. They It's, it's all about the performances. I thought they did the, the In Memoriam was great this year, the way they handled oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, And yeah, just a ton of performances Uh, Just just the fact that they were able to figure out How to perform WAP on broadcast
0: TV
4: (laughs) I'm sorry, what was that song called, Michael Schneider? WAP What's it called?
2: It's WAP WAP WAP
0: Wap. Wap. And and what what does that stand for? Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Way above pay grade Protocol (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was a really good show. It makes me hopeful that the Oscars are going to figure it out. Because Zoom so. the features are not fun. That is the problem. Well, it is
4: an interesting idea. So they're, they're splitting time, as, as you wrote, Clayton, between uh, Kodak and Union Station, which is an interesting choice. That's where, by the way, I got married in 2002. So Did it's really a very nice venue. Nice. Yeah. It's where you we got had our reception. In 2002? I'm getting old, guys. I got. I graduated but, high school in two thousand two.
0: Is Union Station? I mean, yeah, are they going to be just, all in one now, room now, together? Now
4: I get really sad.
0: <laughs> yeah, like how are is they is going to? The I get Union. really sad. I don't understand. Um, is Union Station one big room?
4: There, no, no. There, there's a huge. The original ticketing uh, hall is tremendously large. It hasn't been used actually for ticketing in years. It's where they do events. Uh, the big like banquets uh, events in the front where all the trains are way in the back. It's almost like a whole separate building. So you can do like a big event in the front, sort of like how the, the, the Grammys figured out how to use like interesting spaces and turn them into like uh, right in front broadcast of the from.
2: stadium. And then cars were just like driving by. The like st-
3: The Staples Center no woman- downtown. downtown. Why is That's
0: no it. one using um, the Hollywood bowl? Which
2: is uh because sound acoustics will sound terrible in there. Oh. If you don't pass, it's gonna sound okay.
0: terrible. Yeah, okay. I, and, and I will
4: say going yeah. back to the Grammys, one thing because my, my wife and I my wife was the one who noticed this. Uh, we were watching, and you know, usually it's in Staples Center. So the sound it, it, staples center is huge. So the Grammys, the sound is always sort of hollow, but because they're doing it in a much more confined space this year, the sound was much better. No. I don't know yeah, if I no. saw that in many reviews, but I think doing it in a confined space actually really helped with the performances this it year. It does. Oh. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, that was the big thing with because Hollywood, Hollywood Bowl was like one of the first things someone threw out, and they were like, "Why don't we do it there?" But if it's not packed, it's and you can't pack it, it's just going to sound. It'd be an echo.
4: Yeah, it'd be a terrible mm. echo.
2: Yeah. No. So
4: I'm guessing that
3: ones, goes for. Sorry, Mike. I was going to say I'm guessing that goes for Dodger Stadium too. Then if they can't
2: anything that's large like that. Yeah. It,
3: that makes
2: sense. I mean, the variety building's more than available. <laughs> we
0: we <laughs> could have done it yeah, on Yeah, but road. parking is a problem. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that is true. I'm actually surprised they didn't just, like, find a spot, say, on the Disney lot so that they could have a little more control oh, over yeah. Yeah. how they're I mean, doing
0: they, it. Didn't they turn the Disney lot entirely into Westview for WandaVision? I thought I recognized some uh, spots on that lot, like the theater.
4: Yeah, if you watch like a lot of shows like uh, Blackish, like they'll use the the buildings, the campus as a college or a high school campus. It's it's kind of every once in a while you'll spot like they're on the Disney lot. That's true of every set. I, 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 thought, I
1: fun fact, I've never been
4: on
2: the Disney lot.
3: That would probably change once you're yeah. out here. Unless you've been banned and we haven't been notified.
2: <laughs> I have been banned from every studio lot. In-
0: <laughs> I got lost on the Disney lot one time, like really badly lost. And I was, I had a map and I was talking to someone on the phone and I felt so <laughs> bad because it was a screening of Into the Woods and Chris Pine's parents were there and I was holding it up. And I just like literally wanted to cry.
3: Of all the studio back lots, like the Disney ones, the one that you get lost on the most, I don't know Why? That is That for me is the one where I'm just like, here's a map. I followed it correctly. Why am I still lost?
4: I will tell you, though, the worst parking garage of all the studios is the Universal parking garage. There was once a time where I could not find my car for half an hour. And I got to the point where I was like, maybe it really was stolen. I was about to go to security, (laughs) convinced that clearly someone had stolen my car. I mean, half an hour of just like going up and down. The because the, it's just Ugh, so confusing the, the way that building is set yeah. up. Eventually found it, but I
2: right. digress. Um, yeah, other than that, there's nothing else Oscar-wise. Maybe it's April 25th. None of us are going to be there. We're not invited. Unless we are someone's plus one. So, here's the plan. Right. right now. <laughs> Chanel, you know who you're going to go with? You go with Steven, all right?
0: (laughs) My mom would kill me. I can't do that. You go with Steven, right?
2: (laughs) I will ask uh, Andrew Day. I think we're cool enough. I could do that. Mike, I think you need to go like really left field and you go like to one of the screenwriters, right? And you get, you become their plus one.
4: Yeah, maybe I'll just cosplay as Sorkin. I'll just tell people.
2: Yeah, okay. <laughs> we Sorkin. yeah Sorkin. We can ask him on the on the, on the episode today, and then Jazz obviously go with her because that's what should work out there. There you the Um
3: Can we just give a shout out to Mia Neal and Jimmy Wilson who made history today for Marini's Black Bottom, who became the first Black woman to be nominated in that makeup and hairstyling category. Yep. It has taken until. March 15, 2021, for this to happen?
2: 93 years is a good run (laughs) for everyone else. Uh, We also, uh, I mean, listen, nine people of color out of 20 acting nominees, 45%, nearly half. We're almost there. So uh, it was a a good day. Like, can I just say, I'm really excited about the show. I think with the inclusion of diversity standards that were announced in September, I think this shows that the Academy can do it. And I think one of the best things that I think happened in the pandemic, obviously the pandemic was terrible, but one of the best things that happened was that people were forced to stay home and watch stuff. And I think when you watch stuff, this will naturally happen. Yeah. So now onward. 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 (laughs) 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 I hope it wins. but It's not going to love you so much onward onward was great but uh last movie i saw in the theater was on
4: same mine same. was
3: promising young woman premiere yeah mine was promising young woman too onward was the last premiere daddy I was, pants
2: over onward i brought yeah. it oh, onward wait, actually
0: was... i lied because i saw tenants in a the theater
2: oh you? you oh, were... yeah during the pandemic you win right you,
4: you yeah, had...
0: with... yeah. you're the
2: one with tom
4: cruise right like
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no. actually, it was a friend's birthday, and she rented out a small theater in Orange County, and so there were six of us, all masked and socially. We're in a pod, so we didn't have to do this, but it was interesting how easily it came back to us, walking into a theater, getting that spot, settling in, and, and hopefully we will be back soon.
2: Yeah. Um, what, what are the restrictions in California right now? Like where, where are you
4: guys?
0: I believe it opens, isn't it as of today? Today? It, it opens yeah. at like
4: yeah, 20% they, they, capacity? Yeah, they've lifted a lot of restrictions, a lot of uh yeah, 20% indoor dining now. Yeah, so theaters opening up and uh theme parks soon. Sounds like we're we're days from, from the theme oh, parks. Opening. April 1st,
2: right? For yeah. Disneyland.
0: Well, that right now they're doing a touch of Disney, which um sold mm. out super quickly. Yeah.
2: All right. With yeah. that, nothing else. With that,
4: Aaron and everyone.
0: Yay, yep. the great Aaron Storkin who uh, is very kind to put up with me constantly badgering him about Malice, which is a movie I and many, many people love.
2: It's on Paramount Plus right now. Is there's it really? Because so I've been watching what? so much Paramount Plus.
3: You I, love I, Paramount Plus. I, I do. I, I really have
2: fallen in love <laughs> with it. With it, it. I don't know why. It has, it's nostalgia. Like literally, I watched three episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? I watched uh, Our Real Monsters, and it was just like... They better be paying you now.
4: For,
0: right. <laughs> and, know, uh, Hopefully. <laughs> I believe the correct title is, ah, real monsters. That is true. That is true.
4: I still still haven't recovered from learning that uh, Clayton graduated (laughs) from high school the same year I got married. (laughs) Well, we'll we'll, um, we'll all move on. All right. And we'll see you next week.
0: (laughs) Uh, Bye. It's Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Janelle Riley. Just this week, Aaron Sorkin landed his fourth Academy Award nomination for his second feature as a director, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Timely yet classic, the story focuses on the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention and the individuals put on trial for conspiracy and crossing state lines to incite a riot. It has earned six Oscar nods, including Best Picture and an original screenplay nomination for Sorkin, whose previous three nominations were for Adapted Screenplay.
4: We wanna underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're
1: given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. And there's no place to be right now but in it. We watched for a decade while these rebels without a job tell us how to prosecute a war. They're gonna spend their 30s in a federal facility, real time.
4: People say, you know, Abby, are you concerned about an overreaction from the cops? Holy shit. <laughs> you alright?
0: Sorkin has already won a Golden Globe for his screenplay and is nominated for a WGA Award. For his work as a director, he received Golden Globe and DGA Award nominations. Not bad for someone who says he still hasn't written a screenplay, knowing that he was going to be the one directing it. I recently spoke with Sorkin about why he chose to take on directing Chicago 7 himself. He also talked about working with his tremendous cast, being his own toughest critic and details his experience with his first produced screenplay, Malice. We began by discussing all the acclaim he's received for directing the film.
1: I can only say this. I've, I've had a chance uh, to, to work with Mike Nichols, Danny Boyle, David Fincher, Bennett Miller, and, uh, and for a long time, Tommy Schlaming in television. And I think you'd have to really not be paying attention to not learn something from those people.
0: It's interesting because a lot of writers I talk to, you've worked with a lot of great directors, and I'm, I'm not asking you to to name names or anything, but sometimes it's the directors you don't like as much that inspire you to actually get up and do your own work. Has that been the case? Sure.
1: Um, no, it hasn't in my case. I, I know that there are plenty of uh, screenwriters who became directors kind of as a defensive move that they had a bad experience with a director or two, and I I haven't. I truly enjoy that collaboration. I'm not done wanting to work with great directors. uh, But what happened was, and I still, by the way, um, uh, and I start directing my third movie in two weeks, uh, and I still haven't written a screenplay knowing that I was going to be the one directing it. I didn't know that I was going to be directing Molly's Game uh, when I wrote it. Didn't know I was going to be directing Chicago 7 when I wrote it. Didn't know I was going to be directing Being the Ricardos uh, when I wrote it. And uh, with my first one, with Molly's Game, uh, it was the producers in the studio uh, asking me to direct it. And I said yes this time, just because there was something I was afraid we might get wrong uh, in Molly's Game, if it was someone else, if it was just an unnamed hypothetical uh, director. Uh, I felt that there were a lot of, It was going to be a a magnetic pull toward the shiny objects in Molly's game like the bold-faced names and the money and the sex Uh, and I wanted to tell a story set against the backdrop of those things but a more personal story about this woman so in that case I I felt like I could do it uh, or or at least I was as confident as I was going to be at that point in my life. With Chicago 7 you know first it was supposed to be Steven and then it went through the hands of a number of directors and It was always a budget problem. Those uh, riots were budget busters. Uh, There's not going to be a movie like Chicago 7. It's going to have a big budget. Um, uh, And people couldn't figure out how to stage the riots uh, with the money that we had. Then the world kind of started changing when Trump started running for president, and when he was elected, and uh, he would have rallies. There'd be a protester, and he'd get nostalgic about the old days. When we used to carry that guy out of here on a stretcher, and I'd like to punch him right in the face. And anyway, uh, with everything that was happening in the world, Steven felt that the time to make this movie was now. I had directed Molly's Game by then. He was sufficiently pleased with it that he thought I should direct Chicago Seven. And he said, "Now the riots are your problem." <laughs>
0: By the way, I, I want to add that not only was Travel the Chicago 7 nominated for Sasha and for the ensemble, I love that the Stunt Ensemble got nominated because staging those riots, actors know, actors know how tough that is. Uh,
1: very, very tough. I mean, you know, my first thought when I saw that we got a nomination for Stunt Ensemble was. I could have sworn that Frank Langella and Mark Rylance were doing their own stunts uh, in that courtroom, but then, of course, the uh, uh, the riots getting thrown through a plate glass window. That um, uh, there was plenty of rough stuff that we needed professionals for.
0: And I'm curious was was the end game to always direct someday? Because I, I know that you you actually kind of started as an actor and then got into writing. Yeah,
1: um, no, the end game was not uh, uh, to direct. To say I started as an actor might be a bit of an overstatement. I, I studied acting when I was in college, got a BFA in musical theater, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, but then almost immediately upon graduating and coming to New York, um, I, I realized that what I all those years I'd been studying acting while my classmates were learning how to be good actors, it was just going into a different part of my brain and I was learning uh, what a play was. And I, I, I always loved the sound of dialogue uh, growing up. It sounded like music to me. And what I wanted to do was imitate that sound.
0: How did you sort of develop your style as a writer? Because there's very few specifically screenwriters we can point to and say like, we know an Aaron Sarkin script when we hear it. And, and were you ever criticized early on? Like, because it does have a lyrical quality to it. Did, did people ever say like, um, I always think of that scene in Amadeus when he's like too many notes.
1: Too many notes,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too many words.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, was I criticized early on? Sure, I'm criticized today. Um, uh, th- uh, th- that that hasn't gone away. In terms of developing uh, a style, listen, there, there are, there are kind of two two pillars of uh supporting what i do uh, uh the way i write one of them is uh that i i cling very closely to the rules of drama to aristotle's poetics intention and obstacle um uh, that kind of friction somebody wants something something standing in their way of getting it uh and uh showing how your protagonist The tactics that they're going to use to overcome that obstacle, that's going to be who the character is. You don't tell the audience who a character is. You show the audience what a character wants, intention and obstacle. Mm -hmm. Um, That, And then I kind of discovered through a a, a years-long process that I'm not able to write like anyone else. Um, I, I'm, I I can only write the way I write. And, and by the way, I don't mean that I write the way I talk. I, I don't, I'm not nearly as articulate as the characters uh, that I write. I can't talk as fast uh, as they do, um, but I, I do write the way I write. For instance, um, I remember when I was sitting down to write The Social Network. Uh, I had done many, many months of research Followed by the many months of climbing the walls and pacing around and what is this going to be about? What's the shape of it? And what's the first scene? What's the intention and obstacle uh, uh, in this first scene? And then the second and the third. When I was finally ready to sit down and write the first scene, uh, which, if you remember, was Jesse Eisenberg and Rooney Mara in a bar at the end of just a bad date. This is a relationship that has no future. Uh, I sat down and I knew what I was going to write, but I all of a sudden realized that these are the two youngest characters, uh, I've ever written. Uh, I have to make them sound like college kids. Uh, and I spent the rest of the day struggling to write a half of a page. And it was a pretty bad half of a page too, uh, because, there's no way that college kids talk. There are millions of them. Uh, uh, and they talk all, all different kinds of ways. Uh, but more important, I don't do impersonations. Um, and I don't define the characters by the way they talk. I define them by what they want. So, uh, you know, I threw up my ass and said, these characters are going to have to talk the way I write. Um, it, it's it's going to have to be that way. Same thing with... Uh, I I did a Broadway adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird Mm -hmm. uh, and discovered with the first draft, I can't do a Harper Lee impersonation. Uh, This is going to have to be a new play. I'm not going to pretend that it was written in 1959 uh, and I'm not going to pretend it was written by Harper Lee. Uh, It's going to be written by me. So I do, uh, I try to be aware of um, uh, some of the traps that I can get into uh, with my style of writing. So, I mean, I'm trying to get better um I I I don't want to be at a cruising altitude. Uh but I do stay true to the way I write. I'm glad whatever that, that means.
0: I mean we've seen people do Harper Lee impersonations and, and the result hasn't been great. So
1: <laughs> I'm glad. <Right. laughs> um usually any kind of impersonation, the result won't be great.
0: I never really thought about uh, the opening of social network in those terms. But again, I actually appreciate it because I feel like there's nothing worse than I, I don't know if you've seen that meme with Steve Buscemi where he's pretending he's in high school and he's like, how do you do, fellow kids?
1: Uh, I I have. Yes, he's, I have. Was it an SNL sketch or?
0: W- I think was it was it? 30 Rock.
1: You're right. You're right. It was. Yeah, it was. It was. He was like a uh, an undercover private detective. That's what it was. That what it was. Infiltrating yeah. a school. Yes. Too. That that's fantastic. Carrying
0: <laughs> carry, I just realized this recently because I ran into him. He was carrying two skateboards. Uh-huh. So he was extra young. Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you never <laughs> want to be
0: the writer's equivalent of that. You know.
1: You mean, um, like. Go undercover?
0: No, trying to sound young and hip, you
1: know. Oh, it's, oh, it's yeah. Like crunk. You, you absolutely don't don't want to be that. Yeah. Um, and again, e- even if I'm writing characters who are in high school, um, I'm not going to have them say crunk. Um, uh, this these are going to be high school kids who to know an unusual amount about Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That actually sounds like my high school group, so that makes perfect sense. Mine. Um, I want to talk to you about the art of the monologue, and I don't want to imply that I I ever feel like you're putting a monologue in a film or a TV show just to have it there. They are very organic. They come about very naturally, but... You know, we know one when we when we hear it. I think, like, probably the first time I'm watching one of your works, I don't know it because I'm so invested in the story. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm kind of breaking it down, I'm like, oh, God, like, how did he do that? Um, but I think there is an art to it and an art to where you place it. Does it just sort of happen naturally as you're writing? Or or do you know when those
1: moments <sighs> need to be? In terms of where you place it, and um, what happens is what you want if you're going to write a uh, speech, Uh, you want the water to boil. You want to be able to get there. Uh, It's almost like the way in a musical, uh, a musical number always works best when it's the result of words no longer being able to do the trick. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you just met a girl named Maria at the dance at the gym and you're gobsmacked in love, and it's not enough just to say, hey, I just met this great girl, and her name is Maria. you got to run down the street singing a song just about how beautiful her name is, okay? We haven't even gotten to her yet. We're just singing about her name, and words don't work anymore. You have to uh, sing a song. It's kind of the same uh, uh, with a speech. You have to get there. Uh, uh, it, it, it has to come from a place of, uh, uh, you know, the, the actor and the character... Uh, really need to be taken uh, to that altitude. So to answer your question, which is like, do I plan them or do they just come naturally? Uh, I can sort of feel when I'm coming to one, when right now uh, is 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 when I can can unleash uh, in musical terms, it's gonna be an aria.
0: This has me wondering, have you ever adapted a musical or written a musical? Because you should.
1: Well, that's really nice of you, and I am right now. Um, really, I, I, I wish I could tell you more about it, but um, uh, it will be uh, spring of 2022.
0: For stage or screen, or can you stage.
1: not play? stage? Stage yeah. Broadway, yeah.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! Uh, well, now you've got me thinking of a Trial of the Chicago Seven musical.
1: I, you know what? People laugh at me when I say this, no. but uh, th- there was about um, there was a year in there where I asked DreamWorks if I could take a year and try writing Chicago 7 as a play. And they gave me permission to. And I had a really tough time doing it, but I knew in my heart this actually, with the right composer lyricist, could be a great Mm -hmm. musical.
0: I mean, I would say never say never. Yeah. Um, going back to monologues, and, y- and you know that I was going to bring up Malice because it's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> um, I you you seem to be your own toughest critic in some ways. We've we've had arguments about how much I love this movie, and and you always say it's very kind. But it, it, it seems like I'm I'm painting you in some way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I always appreciate it uh, uh, when I bring up Malice. Um, I was the second and the fourth writer on Malice. Uh, uh, Here's what happened. Um, A fellow I've never met named Jonas McCord pitched a story to Castle Rock based on a rumor that had been going around about a surgeon and a woman who got together and defrauded a medical malpractice insurance company that he was going to operate on her, mess up the operation in some non-life threatening way. Uh, she was gonna sue him for 30 million dollars. the insurance company would pay out and the two of them would split the money. that there had been a rumor going around that, that happened and uh, he just Jonas McCord thought that was a pretty good pitch uh, uh, for a movie, Castle Rock agreed. Uh, uh, they hired him after a year or so, uh, they wanted to bring in someone else. At that point, I'd not written a movie. What I'd written was the play a few good men which hadn't opened yet. In fact, it it hadn't gone into rehearsals yet. We were just casting it. Um, And what Castle Rock did was they went to William Goldman, uh, uh, with whom they had a long relationship with Princess Bride and Misery uh, and a couple of other films. They went to Bill Goldman, asked him to write it. He said, I don't have time, but I think the premise is really good. Why don't you identify some young, cheap uh, writer who I would like and would want to take under my wing to guide them through this. And they identified me, which was amazing because William Goldman was already my hero. Uh, and so uh, he became my mentor at that point. At the same time, so I wrote, the, I then wrote two drafts of Malice. Uh, while that was happening, uh, A Few Good Men opened on Broadway, Tristar owned the film rights to A Few Good Men, but they put it in turnaround. Castle Rock picked it up in turnaround. Rob Reiner wanted to direct it. He wanted to get started right away. And so I was taken off of malice and told to begin writing A Few Good Men right then. Scott Frank uh, replaced me. So it went Jonas McCord, me, Scott Frank. While Scott Frank was on board, Harold Becker came on to direct. Nicole Kidman uh, uh, came on to play the female lead. I was then done with A Few Good Men. And when I was done with A Few Good Men, they wanted to put me back on malice. And my assignment at that point was, get us Alec Baldwin. Okay? Write a draft that gets us Alec Baldwin. That's how your speech happened.
0: My speech. Yeah, I am claiming as my own, as it, as, as it did get me into uh, into my film school. So,
1: is that right? Where'd you go to film school?
0: <laughs> University of Oregon. No, nowhere impressive.
1: <laughs> Very impressive. The Ducks. Yes, I have does. never seen a school with more football uniforms in my life. I think Do they, they have, ever wear the same uniform twice in a row?
0: I don't think so. And I think when you, like, enroll, they hand you, like, a package (laughs) of jerseys that you have to wear. It's, for the whole family, it's insane. Um, We have joked about Malice and, you know, how, you know, you have some regrets on that, I guess would be the best way to to put it. Or maybe, I didn't know it was your first screenplay.
1: Yeah. Um, Listen, it's the kind of, it's, uh, I'm, (laughs) I was really just learning. Um, It's, I've told you, I, I regard A Few Good Men kind of as my high school yearbook picture. And uh, I, I do wish I could have Malice back and uh, and do it again. I, I think there's a pretty cool psychological thriller in there.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe as a musical. <laughs> maybe as a musical. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also saw you say in, in an interview recently that you feel you missed the mark a little bit with, with the newsroom. I'm curious um are you just being your own worst critic or are you a perfectionist or do you ever feel that you got it perfect I mean Chicago 7 is as close as you can get to perfect a perfect movie do you,
1: do, you, do you feel that that that's very nice of you to say I I've never written anything uh that I don't wish I could have back and uh and write again but some of it I recognize Okay. Give yourself a break. That, uh, uh, that, that was good. Sure. You're seeing stakes now, but that, uh, uh, that was good. And gee, are you a baseball fan? I
0: I don't know if I'd say fan, but I, I okay. Yeah. Um,
1: if you watch baseball, when a batter gets out, there are two different reactions, uh, uh that you'll see. Cause there's for that batter, there's two different kinds of getting out. The batter understands that most of the time in baseball, you're going to fail, Mm -hmm. that if you only fail an average of one out of three times, then you're going to go to the Hall of Fame, okay, if your batting average is .333. Uh, uh, So when a a batter gets out, strikes out, grounds out, pops out, uh, they take it better than a football player who's just lost a game because they only get to play once a week. This batter is going to come to the plate five, six times a game uh, uh, every night. So there's the kind of getting out where, damn, I got out and I'll go back to the dugout and try again next time. And then there's the kind of getting out where they break the bat and throw over the Gatorade uh, uh, thing and go out of their minds. So the reason why the second one happens is because they know they had a really good pitch to hit, Mm. Um, uh, that that was their pitch right down the middle or the pitcher let a curveball hang or it was just in a sweet spot. Um, And they swung a little too high, a little too low, a little too soon, a little too late. Um, That's when they bust up the whole dugout and and go crazy. So for me, you you mentioned the newsroom. I felt like that was a great pitch to hit. uh, uh, That cast and that premise, uh, that, that it was a great pitch to hit. And... Uh, There are a lot of moments on the newsroom uh, uh, that I'm very proud of. And God knows I'm very proud of the people that I worked with. But I did always feel like I had a pebble in my shoe. Um, I I, I never felt quite comfortable at my desk. Uh, That was exacerbated by a misunderstanding uh, uh, between the the show and a number of people uh, in the audience. Uh, which was this, that I set the show in the recent past so that I wouldn't have to make up fake news. Um, uh, I wanted it to sound like we were in the real world. I did not set the show in the recent past to uh, leverage hindsight into... I wasn't trying to show the professionals how it's supposed to be done. I can't show the professionals how it's supposed to be done. And so I think that there was a sense of haughtiness or smugness um, or hindsight is twenty twenty. it's easy, uh, uh, that kind of thing. Um, uh, so we, we all sort of got off on the wrong foot uh, uh, to begin with. But that's easy enough uh, uh, to deal with with better storytelling. Um, uh, and I just, uh, I, I, struggled with the newsroom.
0: I mean, but even if it's not a home run, can you be happy with a pretty solid triple? If we're keeping with the baseball metaphor, sorry.
1: <laughs> yes, I can. Okay. Uh, uh, of course I can. I, um, uh, I can be very happy with that. You know, I'll switch metaphors now. <laughs> um, getting something from your head to the page to the screen is kind of like uh, cupping your hands and, and filling them with water and trying to walk from here to there. Usually, by the time you get to there, a lot of that water is going to be gone, right? Sometimes, if it, if you can surround yourself with very talented people and, uh, and everyone's on the same page, uh, sometimes you can walk from here to there and uh, not only is all the water there, but it will have turned to wine. Um, uh, it'll have turned to brandy or cognac or, or, or champagne. Uh, it'll be something better than even than what was in your head.
0: Does Do you feel that helps with, with something like the trial of Chicago 7, which you spent like 15 years on? Yeah. I want to say maybe even longer, um, finally taking the reins and, and directing it yourself. Do you think that that sort of helps, you know, you be happier with the end product or at least know yeah. that like it was your choices, whether they worked or not?
1: Yeah, sure. I, I would much rather mistakes be mine. Um, Much rather mistakes be mine, but I just want to emphasize again that um, I have, and of course, on everything, there has been something or two things or three things uh, that the director and I have uh, disagreed about. But that's you've made that choice. You've decided not to write a novel. You've decided to write something that's not meant to be read, but meant to be performed in a collaborative uh, environment. Um, and I do believe that um, when you tally up everything at the end of the day, that I have gained much, much more from uh, uh, collaborating with these very talented directors than I've lost. I, I'm, if I'm at a casino, I'm, I'm way up.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, definitely.
1: And by the way, I make that same calculation when I'm directing myself. I know that I'm. I'm going to be sacrificing uh, uh, some things uh, along the way. Um, I I I know that I have a very weak visual sense that I tend to hear these things more than I see them. Uh, so it's going to be a, a more of a challenge for me just composing a frame. Uh, so I I never stand more than four inches away from the DP um, uh, uh, and the production designer and getting everybody's help. Uh, so I know that uh, while there are things that I gain by directing my script on uh, myself, there are going to be some that I lose.
0: Well, I, I I hate to keep bringing it back to how you started as an actor, cause, cause, <laughs> but um, it doesn't surprise me because you have such an amazing way with actors, and I know that they line up to do your dialogue. Putting this ensemble together, uh, it, there's, it's amazing to me, you know, obviously you have greats like Mark Rylance and Michael Keaton, but a lot of these people you cast before they really broke through. I mean, both Yaya and Jeremy won Emmys after you filmed. Right. Noah Robbins is a great discovery. I think I've seen him on stage, but, you know, I, I'm just curious where you even began. Who was the first person you cast?
1: Yeah, and Noah Robbins, by the way, when To Kill a Mockingbird reopens, he's going to be playing Dill.
3: <gasps> yeah. Sick. He's going to be great. Um so
1: um I I've, I've been so lucky with casting in my life never more so than with uh Chicago 7. Jeremy was in Molly's game um and then with Succession he, he really knocked us all out. <laughs> right? Uh uh with Succession, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, uh I was just sent film uh, on Yaya and i didn't need to see him read uh, or anything um uh and he was in that film the film that i saw he he was uh cast as much for the power of his silence uh, mm. uh, than anything else uh, i mean i knew that a lot of bobby's thing was just going to come from sitting there staring back at the judge uh who is you know staring back at frank langella it was a pretty powerful guy himself um and uh, Yaya is sensational. We're going to be hearing a lot more from him. Um, all of them.
0: That's Aaron Sorkin. The Trial of the Chicago 7 is now streaming on Netflix. the world actor Helena Zengel has joined the ranks of Anna Paquin, Macaulay Culkin, and Haley Jo Osman as one of the youngest Golden Globe nominees ever. At the age of 12, she landed a Globe, Critics' Choice, and SAG Award nomination in the Supporting Actress category. A newcomer to the American movie scene, Zengel has been acting since she was three. Variety Senior Artisans editor Jazz Tanke recently spoke with Zengel about her movie, all the nominations, and what's next for her. Jazz began by asking the young actor what these past few weeks have been like, including the virtual globes.
5: I mean, they were crazy. Um, I was so lucky and so thrilled and so happy to be able um, to, I mean go through this award ceremony even though it was virtual, but you know still it was like so nice and I kind of like you know I love being with all those people and seeing some people again and the award seasons were very very nice and everybody was so happy um for me and I had so much fun so um yeah they those were great weeks and I mean we still have the second words and the Oscar nominations are going to go out. So it's a crazy time. But, you know, I like crazy stuff.
3: I love that. And had you, I'm just curious, had you ever grown up like watching the award shows or was this like your first experience?
5: Um. Well, um, I watched the Golden Globe sometimes um, and the Oscars, like starting at, I think, nine or something like that. But I wasn't like as aware as I'm now of the other awards like Sac Awards and everything. So um, yes, I did watch some like the most famous ones like Golden Globe and uh, Oscars. Um, but the others not. But usually, uh, I'm really excited for uh nominations um coming out and everyone um going to ceremony ceremonies because you can meet people and uh i think even being there would be nice and maybe next year if we or if i'm going to get nominated uh maybe i'll go to a ceremony if and if not i'll go some other day but i think ceremonies and everything's always so nice uh there's just like a hot film fever in the air you know what i mean like it's always totally. really fun
3: totally and
5: um so
3: let's talk about news of the world this is your first hollywood role Yes. um let's talk about that audition process, and you flew to London for that yeah. audition. What do you remember about auditioning
5: um well yeah as you said i went to london but first of all we had the first audition in um germany and then we had the second audition which was yeah actually in london i met paul greengrass at that day and i actually got you know that i got my role on that day too so you know it was a great day and we had uh, lots of fun with paul he's a very very nice guy and um yeah we just talked a little bit i did some scenes i had to bite my mom (laughs) And um, yeah, then I got the role. I mean, it sounds so simple, but yeah, it was uh, an amazing day. And after that, we were like going down the streets in London and like, yeah, kind of celebrating.
3: I want to hear this story about you biting your mum because I think you've mentioned that in the past. I was like, wait, let's hear the
5: details. um well yeah it's officially officially true i had to bite my mom to get into the movie with tom um um, so it was like this um we went to london and we had a a great hotel and the soho hotel and you know everything was Mm -hmm. so flattery and we were so excited especially me but sure my mom too and Um, Then we went into the room after one night with Paul and, you know, he was so nice. We were talking about so many things, not even about movies. Sometimes we were just kind of talking like friends would do. And at first I was super nervous, but then I felt very confident with him. And then he said, well, let's do the scene. And At first I was like, okay, maybe somebody's coming who's going to do the scene with me or something like that. But he was like, no, 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 you can do it with your mom. And then I was like, Oh, okay. And then, yes, we did the scene, uh, the first scene where I had to kind of play that I'm afraid of him. And then we did the biting scene where he, I think, wanted to see if I can, you know, act uh, with people and bite them, like, kind of without laughing and just being natural. And that's what he wanted to. And then I did bite my mom. And, yeah, I think I think she, she did get great, too. So we did the audition together and yeah, it was fun. I mean, I think it's the best thing that can happen to you is to audition with your mom because you know each other, you love each other and you can practice with each other a lot. So it was actually pretty nice, but yeah, sure. At first I was like, oh, I'm going to back my mom. Okay. So you
3: get your, you get the role and you get to get, you get to come to America for the first time, except, you know, it's not the, you know, the glitz and glamour of Hollywood or, you know, California or New York, you're actually in, you know, New
5: Mexico. What was that experience like for you? Well, you know, as someone who has never been to America, I think New Mexico was a blessing because, um... Well, I think it's great to be uh, in uh, Hollywood or stuff like that, but I think it was really kind of a blessing because I wouldn't rush into the New York and L.A. world. I You know, it was like Mexico, a little bit like Spain, but you were still uh, in America, and there were so many nice people, you know, the whole culture. I just loved being there, and we had so much fun we uh we actually got to see I mean sometimes when you do movie you you don't really get to see the landscape you just kind of like do the movie and then you go away again but we had some free days and we always used the time to go to museums and everything and I got to go to uh this famous museum where all those big paintings and uh, many other museums and we we had a lot of fun uh, eating spicy food, even though I'm not used to spicy food, but still <laughs> it was fun to eat it, you know, do challenges and um, like kind of, you know, it's it's kind of a mix of Spain and America or Mexico and America. And just having some Mexican culture in America was just so great like a great bunch uh, of mixed people and um yeah they were all very nice and I got to practice my English very good but you could also speak in Spanish so we had uh, lots of fun there
3: oh I love that and you love I think based on our conversations I think you love like spicy food because you like wasabi right
5: I love wasabi you know like (laughs) <laughs> at first when i tried it i was like no 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 this is way too spicy but now i love it i put like a whole bunch <laughs> onto my sushi and everybody's like what the hell are you doing why would you put so much wasabi on there when you're like not used to spicy food and i was like well it's so nice because i think soya sauce with um wasabi is just the best thing you can eat and then sushi it's just i love it
3: Hmm. Okay, going back to, you know, New Mexico and filming. I I mean, looking at those weather conditions, it's cold and then you've got, like, the heat to... You go from one, one extreme to the other. Talk about, you know, being in that environment and filming.
5: Yeah, you know, this was amazing for me. I had mountains and we sat in the sun. I had long desert and we were walking in the snow, you know, it was so, so cool because yeah, it was really, really extremely cool sometimes. But then you had those heaters that you had like this family feeling on set and then you were drinking a hot cup of cacao and snow was right around you. You had everybody around you, you really liked and we We're used to be with and when you know even though it was cold we had snow and if it is cold and you have snow i think you can live through but if it is cold without snow it's a little bit boring and like i don't like it but if there's snow you have something to do you can play in the snow and the horses and um all the animals are really excited about the snow too and you know, it was just great having those hard and strong weather conditions because we don't have that in Germany too. And then also we don't really have mountains. So um it was just this whole country made me laugh and be excited every day. And um I mean, I learned to speak English very good. I learned the Kaiwa language. I got to know a superstar, which, I mean, I'm 12 years old. I still can't believe it that we're like so close and so friends because, For me, it's not like talking about a superstar. For me, it's talking about an uncle or something like that.
3: Right. I I love that so much. Okay, let's talk about meeting Tom Hanks for the first time. Like, what was your relationship with his movies before? Like, did you have a favorite Tom Hanks movie? And if so, what was it? And then, yeah, what was it like to see him?
5: Well, you know, (laughs) I actually really did not quite know him at first. I mean, when somebody said Tom Hanks, I kind of knew who they were talking about but I did not know him as well so I did not watch any movie of him before I so I didn't have a favorite movie and um yeah it was like really funny everybody was like what you don't know Tom Hanks and I was like well who is he I mean like I know he's a he's like a big actor but is he like a really like a big deal and everybody's like oh my god Helena and I was like well I don't know but um then when I knew I'm going to audition for that and maybe play the role with him um I watched movies of him I watched Castaway the Da Vinci Code the Terminal um Splash Big and all those very famous movies of him and um yeah I mean I think it was amazing and um meeting him because you know it wasn't planned to meet him, so I was, like, really excited to meet him and a little bit nervous, but I thought I'd meet him the next day, which, like, how they said it. But then they were like, oh, no, uh, well, we're going to meet him today. And um, But it was like they said it, like, one minute ago, and I was like, okay, yeah, well, it's going to take some time. And then he came in and said, hello, I'm Tall Hex. And I was like, okay, you don't need to kid me because I knew all those people already very good. We worked together four weeks before the movie started, about four weeks. And um, we already had so much fun and became like a family, even though the movie hadn't started yet. And then he came in and I thought like somebody was kidding me because we were like joking around sometimes, Um, like not about Tom, but like about that I'm going to meet him and that I'm going to be very excited and stuff like that. So I thought, you you don't need to kid me. Like, you know what I mean? And then yeah. he, he he I like he tapped on my shoulder and said, No, no, it's for me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's him oh, oh holy crap, what I'm going to say now, and stuff like that. And I was like, Yeah, well, I'm Helena, and he was like, Well, it's great meeting you. And, um, yeah, it was a great, nice day because, um, I was very excited to meet him and it was so funny because we were laughing and laughing and laughing because, you know, he was so confident, like, yeah, here, I'm Tom Hanks. And I was like, oh yeah, we don't wanna, um, but it was very easy to kind of, you know, accept him as a normal person because he's like a normal person. He's coming in, Mm -hmm. in long, um, pants and very loose pants and, um, well, yeah, he's just like, who would expect somebody who's just getting a coffee from Starbucks.
3: I love that. What did you learn from, you know, spending, how much time did you spend shooting the movie?
5: Um, we shot the movie three months about well, three months, and um, well, I took away a lot. I I learned to appreciate even more, um, like the Kiowas and the Native Americans and their story. I could learn a lot, really a lot, about how they like went through that time when they lost their land because there were many like real uh, Native Americans there. And from Tom, I'm sure I had, I got so many advices. Um, we spent a lot of time together and became really, really good friends, like best friends. And he's kind of an uncle to me. And he taught me so much. I could learn songs from him. I could learn how to use a typewriter from him. Um, I could learn how to uh, be strong, like, w- like take up heavy things. I could learn a lot about acting just, just with being with him because he's just I mean he's a superstar you can learn so much from him even though you're not talking you just just the way he is um he's such a gentleman even though like he wouldn't need you but he really is um yeah I just love him he's he's a great guy and it's great that we're still having contact because I mean we can't see each other fortunately and so having contact makes it much more easier uh, to not be sad about that
3: Oh, I love that. And I I was going to ask you if you were still in touch, and and you are. um, What was your favorite sequence to shoot? I know last time we spoke, you said it was the shootout. Is that still one of your favorite moments?
5: Yes, it's still one of my favorite moments, but I think my my favorite, favorite, favorite scene now is the scene um, where they get to know each other very good and the scene where... um, tell uh johanna is trying the coffee because it's you know it's just a funny scene both of them are kind of in a good mood and he's telling her about what's coffee and what's sugar and she's like very well <laughs> she's like just trying everything and i think making audience laugh because she i think Johanna is so cute because she just does not, doesn't you know, think about what to do. She, she just does it and does not care about what the others think, and that's I think it's like very cute kind of. So I really like that scene, and I think that's my my really special favorite scene now.
3: <laughs> I love I love that, and I love the coffee sequence. It's it's you know it really puts a smile on your you know on your face. Um, yes. So, you know. I mean, in terms of, you know, that whole experience of, you know, shooting this movie and, you know, everything, what do you, it is a, there is a beautiful story of friendship at the heart of it. What do you want people to take away from the film?
5: Well, definitely, um, at first that, um, it's just, you know, that you really should keep hoping, um, that you should never let go on the option and on the thing that you're going to find the one person that makes you happy every time you think about her and that you should stay strong and that you need to do something to get to your goal. Nothing is for free but if you really try to get to your goals you will do it and um, nothing will like bring you out of your lawn and just do what you want to do and go your way, and don't think about what others think. And I think, especially now in this pandemic, um, this movie is bringing a lot of hope. And um, because I know many people are having um, depressions because of um, the pandemic. Um, they lose their jobs, they lose their homes, and I think this movie just brings a lot of joy. It brings uh, hope. And also love and to enjoy what you got and not to think about what you haven't got. So um yeah, I think it's perfect for that time. And I'm very proud um that we were able to bring the movie out and that many people could see the movie even though we're in the pandemic.
3: Yeah. I I love that. And let's let's hear a bit about some of your favorite things. I mean, what was what what's your favorite movie? Mm, my f-
5: Favourite movie? Well, you know, I got many movies um, I really like. Uh, my last year favourite movie was definitely Stars Born. Uh-huh. Mm, and this year, well, um, I have just watched the um, television show called Stranger Things and the Vampire Oh, Diaries.
3: oh. And You're a big vampire fan, right?
5: well yeah I, I, I like some fantasy stuff sometimes and I really enjoyed watching that um I watched In Her Shoes which was really like funny um because yeah it's just a funny movie about a woman who's kind of out of control and then her sister is like this very straight woman like a very straight businesswoman and you know, a little bit boring and she's like bringing life to her house, but they're like having some fights and stuff like that. So that was very funny to watch. And then I like horses movies. And um, well, here and there I watch uh, strong movies, like documentaries. Um, Death to 2020 was amazing um, to see all those pictures again, which were really not nice, but still to see that. So um, yeah, I got a bunch of them. But uh, still, I really love A Star Born. I can watch it over and over and over, and it just does not get boring. Um, yeah, but in general, like, I have many movies. I, I don't even know the names. I have really many. <laughs> and I know you're a big Lady Gaga fan, right? Yeah, so A Star Is is very important to me. <laughs> so what's what's next for you? Well, I can't say too much about it, but I can tell you that you will definitely hear from me. We have some deep talks with new productions and new movie stuff, but I can't tell you too close just yet, but you will be surprised. All right. So stay tuned.
3: Yes. Helena, thank you so much
5: for joining us
3: today on the Variety Awards Circuit podcast. I appreciate catching up with you as always.
5: Thank you, me too. It was a great talk.
0: That's Helena Zengel, the co-star of News of the World, now available via On Demand. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Awards Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Awards Circuit Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head over to Variety.com and click on the Awards Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions in key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Clayton Davis, and Michael Schneider, I'm Janelle Riley. We'll see you on the circuit.
2: America.